Turn with me, please, to John's Gospel, chapter 19 again. This is the second part of... That's entitled, From Gabatha to Golgotha. From Gabatha to Golgotha. John's Gospel, chapter 19, beginning to read at verse 13. When Pilate, therefore, heard that saying... He brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat and the place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? Chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the blood that flowed from Emmanuel's veins. We thank you, Father, that tonight, that blood has still never lost its power. Power to save. Power to cleanse. Power to forgive. We thank you, Lord, this evening that even as we're gathered in this house, Father, you know each and every one of us. Lord, you know those whom have come to thee and bowed the knee and surrendered their lives and come to the foot of the old rugged cross, and they've come under the fountain of blood. And you know those, Lord, who have been turning away from your calling, those, Lord, who have been stiff-necked, and even those, Lord, who have simply said no. We ask you, Lord, this evening in your great grace that you would continue to speak and that you would continue to draw and you would bring souls to Jesus. And we ask it all, in his name and for his glory. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ was crushed in the garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane is that Aramaic word we spoke of last week, which gives the idea of an olive press. And the Lord Jesus went into Gethsemane after he instituted what we would call the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread. And as he went to the olive press or to the place where there were gnarled olive trees from which the people would have taken them and crushed them for the pure oil of the temple, for healing, balming oil for the sick and the lame and those who maybe were diseased, the Lord Jesus Christ enters that same garden one more time for he often resorted there. And as he's there, your sin and my sin were led upon him. The Lord Jesus Christ became God's olive, and he was crushed with the weight 
of our sin. He falls on his face time after time after time. And we're even told that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood falling from his head to the ground under the sheer weight of our sin and of our shame. God was crushing his olive in order to receive that pure and unadulterated oil with which he could heal his church and also fill them with his spirit. Here we're told that the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is then betrayed by Judas Iscariot. He is made known to the temple guard and to Roman soldiers who surround the hillside. And we're told that he is made known by a traitor's kiss. And Judas kissed the Lord Jesus on the cheek and betrayed him. One old preacher once said that Judas Iscariot kissed the door of heaven and went to hell. How close can you be to heaven and yet go to a lost eternity, friend? How close could you be tonight and what would you do for a choice? Will it be Christ as your Savior? Will it be the kiss of love or the kiss of betrayal? Here we have Judas Iscariot with the traitor's kiss. The Lord Jesus was taken by force and brought to the house of Annas and to Caiaphas who lived close by. Caiaphas was the high priest. Annas was his father-in-law who held great sway in Jerusalem. And there he was beaten. There he was mocked. And there he was insulted. Annas and Caiaphas usher him then to Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, who sent him then to Herod, the puppet Edomite king from Galilee, who was in Jerusalem for the Passover. And he takes him to Herod. Herod becomes deeply disappointed because he wanted Jesus to perform a miracle after hearing of the wonderful things that Jesus does. Is there someone tonight and you would love Jesus to be your performer? Is there someone tonight and you don't want Christ for whom he is? You don't want his great salvation? For with his word and his great salvation will come great responsibility to you in your life. And so instead, we look like Herod looked. We look for him to perform something for us. If you do this, Jesus, then I will believe. But Jesus would not even speak to Herod. Herod questions him, sends him away then. We're told before that his soldiers or his men of war take Jesus. And it says in Luke chapter 23 that they set him at naught. In other words, they took him and they made light of him. They mocked him. They made fun of him. They belittled our Lord Jesus Christ. And they sent him away again to Pontius Pilate. At Pontius Pilate, we're told that Pilate interrogated him and questioned him. He then says to the chief priests and to the rulers of the people, Luke chapter 23 and verse 14, he says to them, I having examined him, notice the words, I having examined him before you have found no fault in this man. Verse 15 he says, No, nor yet Herod, 
for I sent him to you. You to him and know nothing worthy of death is done in him. Pilate comes out and he says, this man you have turned over to me is not worthy of death. Herod himself, after questioning him, he also says he is not worthy of death. Pilate says, on three separate and different occasions, I find no fault in this man. He comes out and he says it to them, I having examined him. The word examined here needs looked at. It's a Greek word, anachreno. And anachreo gives the idea of, I have scrutinized him, Pilate says. It gives the idea to investigate. I have investigated about him. I have asked him question after question. It gives the idea to determine. Pilate was determined to find something in which he could send Christ to his death. It means he was determined to send him to the cross. It also gives the idea of interrogation, and it comes from a root word, ana. And ana means, it means repetitiveness, and it also means intensity. In other words, Pilate just didn't come and say, tell me, Jesus, art thou the king of the Jews? And walk away and leave him when Jesus gives his answer. It gives the idea that Pilate came into the room and he says, art thou the king of the Jews? And he walks around Christ. Art thou the king of the Jews? Art thou the king of the Jews? And he impresses and he forces and he interrogates and he scrutinizes the Lord. He goes out and he comes in again. Art thou the king of the Jews? He goes on and he goes on. This period of time was a time of investigation into our Lord Jesus Christ to find some fault in him. And at the end of it all, Pontius Pilate comes out. He says, I find no fault in him. You see, from John chapter 18 and verse 38, when Pilate says, I find no fault in him at all, throughout this whole event and the rest of this evening, right through to the morning, right up until the death of our Lord on the cross, Right until he goes to Golgotha, Jesus is pronounced innocent by all those who were to question him and all those who would take him to his death. For example, we have told you, Pilate says, I find no fault in him at all. Herod, we're told, found no fault in him. Pilate's wife, she says, in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 19, it says, When he, that is Pilate, sat down on the judgment seat, that is at Gabbatha, sat down at the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? Notice, she says, He is just. Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. She sends a note, a courier, onto Pilate. She says he is innocent. Even the old traitor himself, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed our Lord for 30 pieces of silver, he brings the blood money back to the priests 
and he cast it at their feet. And as he casts the blood money at their feet, he proclaims that Jesus is innocent. Listen to what he says in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27 and verse 4. He says, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. He's innocent, he says, and I have betrayed him. Christ was innocent. There was nothing to be found in him. The dying thief, we sang about it there. There are two, one on one side, we're told in John's Gospel, chapter 19, and one on the other side, and both were casting insults in his teeth, we're told. And one suddenly hanging and bleeding and dying beside the Christ of God. He sees him as a king, and he says, Lord, rememberest thou me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He has a revelation of the Lamb of God which would take away his sin. That not only is he Lamb, but he is also the King. The other thief, he is casting other insults the other way. Luke chapter 23 and verse 41 in Luke's account it says, the one thief shouts to the other, we received the due reward of our deeds. Notice, he says to the other thief, we have received the due reward of our deeds. But this man, the one in the middle, in the center cross, he says, but this man hath done nothing amiss. He is proclaimed innocent all the way. Luke chapter 23 and verse 47. As our bleeding Savior hangs, the Redeemer gives up the ghost and says, Father, into thy hands I command my spirit. And he hangs his head on a pulseless breast and allows himself to die. The centurion whom we'll read about later on, who walks with him down the Via Dolorosa and takes Simon the Cyrenian to carry his cross. He, watching him there, standing at the foot of the cross of the bleeding Christ. He has something to say. It says, Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. Jesus was righteous. John chapter 14, the Lord Jesus before his arrest and while he's spending time with his disciples In verse 30, he says these words. He says unto them, the prince of this world. That's the devil, friend. That's the devil, Satan himself. He says, the prince of this world cometh and findeth nothing in me. Think about that. There was in Christ nothing that the devil could claim. Let me say it again. There was in Christ nothing that the devil could claim. But in others he finds that which is his own. And he enforces death as his due. The only reason Jesus could die. The only reason Jesus would die. Was because in Gethsemane. He became sin. Who knew no sin. That you and I who were dead in our sins, we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The only reason Jesus could die 
was because your vile sin and mine was upon him. And the devil claimed it. And the devil claimed it. He bore it in his own body on the tree. See, it's Gabriel wrote. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary. And he suffered and died alone. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. He who was completely and totally innocent, just and righteous became sin when he took our sin upon himself. The devil would come. And if the devil found nothing in him at this time, he found my sin in him. Think about it, friend. The devil would come and find your sin in him. And people think, well, I get saved by being a good person, by being a good religious person, by doing good works and alms and deeds, by being a good Protestant or being a good Catholic or whatever you want. And you think, I'll get saved by being this out of your friend. You'll not get saved but by the blood of Jesus. The Lord says, the prince or the devil, the prince of this world cometh and findeth nothing in me. The devil would have came to me personally, friends. He found plenty in me. He found plenty in me. And I deserved to go to a lost eternity without God and without Christ, without hope in the world, and so did you. But he took my sins and my sorrows, and he made them his very own. He took yours. Can I ask you a question and answer truthfully in your heart? When the devil comes to read you, can he claim you? Can he claim you, preacher? Absolutely not. Because Jesus took my sin. And when the Lord looks at me, when the Father looks at me, he sees nothing but his Son. And he sees nothing but the blood. But if you're not saved when he sees you, he sees you in your sin and the devil claims his own. John chapter 19 and verse 1. Here we have where we were last week at the the whipping of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pilate sits at the judgment seat. And we're told as he sits at the judgment seat, he's, he's ready, as it were, to see where the people were concerning Christ. Did they want him or did they not? Would they accept him or would they not? Would they take him or Barabbas? Barabbas was a prisoner. He was a thief and he was a robber. He was a murderer. He caused an insurrection. He was arrested. And there was a a tradition to let one man go at Passover. And surely the one who loved them, who was the Lord Jesus Christ, they would call for his release. Pilate brings them both out and he says, Who will ye that I release unto you? Jesus, which is called Christ. 
or Barabbas. My Barabbas was a robber, we're told. Who do you want? A picture of glory and beauty and holiness. One who loves you and gave himself up for you. Or do you want this one who represents the prince of this world? He says, you choose. You choose. And they chose Barabbas. Friend, tonight, who would you choose? We're told in John's Gospel, chapter 19 and verse 1, Then Pilate, therefore, took Jesus and scourged him. Scourged him. We spoke a little last week on this, but I want to open it up a little more for you. When they took our Lord, the scourging is what's known as the flagellum. And just to refresh your, ma- your minds as we go further in this, the Roman flagellum was like a cat of nine tails. And interwoven in it was bits of lead and of sharp bone. And some of them had bits of metal. And all- some of them also were laced with little hooks and barbs. That when the cat of nine tails was drawn back and smote into the back of the victim... The hooks and the bone and the lead went in and the metal and it stuck fast in their back. And they had to tear out the flesh. In fact, as I said, many died with it. And in fact, their very veins used to hang down like strings because of the flagellum. They take our Lord Jesus Christ after beating him they take him after pulling out his hair and his beard. And they take him and they bring him to the whipping post. Some people say that it was a, a little bent over but elevated and stretched out. That, and they would have stripped him completely naked, even to the fairy buttocks. In front of everybody. And they whipped him. And they whipped him. And they whipped him. And they whipped him. They whipped him, and they whipped him, and they whipped him. Some say 39 lashes. Isaiah 53 and verse 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Notice this, with his stripes we are healed. You know when that was written? About 750 years before it happened. Spirit of prophecy. Notice, with his stripes we are healed. Notice again, looking toward the cross, with his stripes it says, we are healed. The Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 16 we're told, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Whenever the Roman lice went in, he was bearing your sickness in his body. Let me tell you something. The word flagellum means plague, disease. That whip that the Roman soldier held, 
It was a full embodiment of fear. It was a full embodiment like a plague when it hit the back. It was like a plague goes through a field and destroys the land, the crops. It's like a plague that wipes out your cattle. Like the plagues of Egypt. And this was the embodiment of fear and of sickness and with the lacerations of death and disease. And Jesus took it all in himself. All of it. He took your plague and he took your sickness. He took your sorrows. In fact, some people say, Ah, it doesn't mean bodily healing at all. Friend, it means more than bodily healing, actually. It actually means mental healing too. Physical healing, spiritual healing. It means healing. In fact, the word here for with the stripes you were healed, it comes right into 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. Peter looking back to the cross. Isaiah, 750 years before, with the stripes we are healed. Jesus takes the stripes and bears our sins and our iniquities and our diseases. The cross then, and looking back to the cross, Peter looks back and listen to what he says. Who his own self, not an angel, not a prophet, not an apostle, not a pastor, nor a preacher, nor a pontiff friend, who his own self, Bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. In fact, we're told that the word stripes can sometimes mean singular. Not that he just got lashed once, but that their back, his back in particular, was such a bloody mess, such a bludgeoned pulp, that all the stripes started getting in one with another. All the lacerations started becoming one mess. Like a, like a, it's like the, the minced, minced flesh, friend, and the blood coming, and the sinews hanging out, and the veins dripping down, and the blood running everywhere. And it means all of those stripes become one great stripe. You can't tell one from another. He was so bad. done it for you. And he done it for you. And he done it for me. Peter looks back and he says, listen, he, his own self, bear our sins. And his own body on the tree. And then he says, by whose stripes ye were, past tense, healed. He took our plague. The word healed here is the word ahiomahi. And it means by his stripes you're cured. By his stripes you're made whole. In John chapter 19 and verse 2, let's read it, says, And the soldiers plaited or made a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. See the crown of thorns, these great four inch tall spikes. And they plot a crown and they press it into the head of Jesus. And the blood runs down his lovely face. And by this time he's brutalized. His visage is so marred more than any other man's. They have punched him. The idea here is when he's brought 
to Pilate and the soldiers. They punched him and they punched him and they punched him. Then they take a reed and they start smacking him round the head and they cover over his head that he knows not who hit him. And it means with great force and rapidity, they done it again and again and again and again and again. They hit him and hit him and hit him. And that's what they done to our Savior. They took him and lacerated him. And they take a crown of thorns and press it into his brow, his brow that's bleeding profusely. And what was that for? Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve have sinned and fallen in the garden. And the Lord comes to see what's going on. And we're told Adam and Eve are hiding. And the Lord comes. Adam! Adam, where art thou? Told Adam comes out. And there's a whole discourse. And the Lord, he says to the serpent, he casts him, the devil, down onto his belly. And he pronounces a judgment on mankind and on womankind. That's why women have childbirth labor pains from the fall. That's why work is so hard. That's why we labor for our bread. That's why it doesn't come so easy. Because in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat thy bread, he said. He said you will perspire with the very workload. It's from the fall. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17 says, cursed, notice what the Lord said, cursed is the ground for thy sake, Adam. Because you sinned, your very ground is cursed. Everything was cursed. He says, cursed is the ground for thy sake. Notice, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Verse 18, the Lord says, notice, thorns and thistles shall bring it forth unto thee. Here was a crown of accursed earth on the head of Jesus. Here was the crown of thorns. It was a crown of a cursed world on the head of Jesus. And little did they know what they were doing. It's like the hymn writer said, The head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. Is crowned with glory now. A royal diadem adorns a mighty victor's bride. The mighty victor's bride. They pressed the curse of earth upon the head of Jesus. Revelation 19 and verse 12 speaks of the risen, glorified, triumphant, returning king to planet earth. It says, His eyes were as off a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. That crown has changed for when Jesus returns. The earth at the moment, you're seeing tsunamis and hearing of earthquakes and natural disasters. You know why? The earth is cursed. But when Christ returns, we are looking and we're waiting for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. He wore a crown of thorns on his brow. He was going to take care of everything. Our wholeness, spirit, soul, body. The earth renewed and renovated in him. 
And when he died, it was more than just a man hanging on a cross. He was going to change this whole planet. And we await our Lord's return for the full redemption of his people. John 19. Even in our Lord's battered, bleeding, and bludgeoned state and condition, no mercy was shown, no grace was given, no justice was delivered or administered unto him. In verse 3 we're told, they smote him with their hands. Filthy men smote him with their hands. In fact, in another place it says, they spit on him. As if it wasn't enough, they'd put him through. You know what the idea is? And I don't want to be gross, but I'll tell you what it is. They cleared their throats until they could spit it out. The face of Jesus, bleeding and battered and bruised, was now dripping with the saliva and the germs of filthy man. And you'll turn him away. They smote him with their hands. They mocked him. Blow after blow after blow kept coming. In John 19 and verse 5, Pilate brings the Lord Jesus out with three immortal words that he says unto the crowd. Verse 5 says, Then came Jesus forth wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. Did you ever wonder what he meant? Do you ever wonder what the idea is when Pilate says, Behold the man here? See the word behold, it's a, it's a word, ede. And ede gives the idea of the element of surprise. And let me say it again. An element or the element of surprise. When they walk out and he brings Jesus with him, he's a pitiful figure. He's barely alive. Only his deity is allowing him to live. And he brings him out. And he says unto the Jews, Behold the man. Look at this pitiful person. He's a specimen who's bloodied and bruised. Behold the man. Let me just open this word behold for you for a couple of moments. The word behold here in John chapter 1 and verse 29. We read of John the Baptist in the river Jordan baptizing. The people are thronging to be baptized of John. Suddenly John spies a man walking down toward him. And John sees this regal figure. This beautiful handsome man coming down. And the Spirit of God opens the eyes of John. And John cries, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In other words, surprise, Jesus comes on the scene. Surprise, the Lamb of God is here. Surprise, here's the consolation of all of Israel. That's Him. It means, look this way. Take this in. Catch this vision. Behold the Lamb of God. We're told when the Lord is going into Jerusalem on the final 
week, we're told as he walks into Jerusalem, there's a fig tree with leaves, and Jesus goes over to take fruit off it, and it has none, and he curses it. And the next day, going through again, Peter sees it. And Peter says, Behold the fig tree which thy cursed is withered up. It's the same idea. Peter can't believe that this tree which was spoken to by the word of God has now become a shriveled branch in the ground. Master, look. That's the tree you tried to get fruit off. Look at it. And Jesus is walking on. I know, Peter. But Master, look at it. It's shriveled up. It's withered away. And one day it's gone. Look, Master, look, look. That's the idea of it. Pilate brings out the bleeding Savior and he says, Behold, look at him. Look, look. Friend, would you look for once? And once and for all, look at him. Don't look at a preacher getting excited. Don't look at a preacher and you think he's an idiot or an idiot. Don't look at all of us. Look at him. Don't look to your church, but look at the bleeding Christ. And they're meant to be surprised and astonished and astounded to say, oh, such a mess. It's horrific. Let him go, Pilate. No, friend, listen to this. Verse 6 says, When the chief priests, therefore, and the officers saw him, they cried, Let him go, let him go. No, crucify him. Crucify him. Finish him off. Finish him off. How could you be such a person so miserable like that? Finish him off. How could you be so cruel you wouldn't do it to an animal? We're told in John 19 and verse 13, and he takes Jesus to the judgment seat, a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. Part three next week. Behold the man, brother, sister. Maybe you've strayed. Maybe you're not going on. Look. Maybe you're doubting. Just behold him. Look at him. I trust that the Holy Spirit has painted a picture for you and shown you afresh the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold the man. Unsaved person, behold the lamb who died in your room instead. And be surprised that he would even think of you. Because I'm so surprised that he would ever think of me. May God bless his word. We'll do part three in his will next week. We'll look at Simon of Serene. We'll look at the daughters of Jerusalem weeping and lamenting over Christ. And he uses a word that's used three times in Scripture. One to the house of Israel, one now to the Jews of the house of Judah. And he uses one that's to come in the future when global catastrophe will come. And you must be right. Well, look at it, God willing, next week. Will you come and fill the house of God? Thank you for your marvelous attention. Harris, come and sing to us, will you?